0: This week on WealthTrack, FPA New Income funds Tom Atterbury on 35 consecutive years of delivering positive returns.
1: So one of the very first tests that we do to help us with this objective of a positive return in that that calendar year period is this, okay, if I buy this bond today and the yield on the bond today is 100 basis points or one percentage point higher a year from now and I sell it, is my return positive, zero, or negative? And if it's negative, then the bond isn't purchased.
0: He describes his safe haven investment strategy this week on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track.
1: Funding provided by Morgan LeFay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, a Leg Mason company, Miller Value Funds, Royce and Associates, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management.
0: Hello, and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Safe haven investments are hard to find these days, which is why we need them more than ever. We are faced with risks we haven't experienced in living memory a truly global and spreading pandemic, rolling government lockdowns, unprecedented involvement in securities markets by the Federal Reserve and other central banks, and massive stimulus from governments with paycheck protection programs and loans to businesses. Normally, when corporate and government debt soars to record levels, bond markets get very nervous. Bond prices fall and interest rates rise as investors worry about getting paid back. Not in today's environment. The Fed has essentially pledged to keep short-term interest rates near zero and backstop numerous types of loans to prevent businesses from going bust and laying off workers. That assurance and the the don't-fight-the-Fed adage seem to be enough for most fixed-income investors who continue to chase yield and drive bond prices up and interest rates down. Not this week's guest. Tom Atterbury is portfolio manager of the flagship FBA New Income Fund, which he has managed since 2004. Now one of the largest actively managed short-term income funds with $7.8 billion under management, New Income is the only fund in its category to deliver positive returns over the last 35 years. Tom and his former co-manager, legendary bond manager Bob Rodriguez, were named Morningstar Fixed Income Managers of the Year in 2008. FPA New Income carries a Morningstar Bronze Analyst Rating for providing a haven from losses and bond market excesses. FPA New Income is about to become the only short-term bond fund to close to new investors. I asked Atterbury to bring us up to speed on conditions in the bond market. How have they changed since COVID-19?
1: I'll divide it up into two areas. The, the, the first area I'll divide is what I would classify as high quality, which will be sort of any security and fixed income that's A-rated or above. And then the other section will be the, the triple B and below. So starting with a high quality, the biggest change, the absolute biggest change is the intervention by the Fed in, first off, unlimited quantitative easing. They said they're willing to buy whatever amount of treasuries or agency mortgage pools they need to buy in order to bring financial stability into the marketplace and to maintain that stability. Part of that also means that they're gonna say, okay, we wanna maintain a certain level of rates. Now in conjunction with that, they took the overnight of the Fed funds rate and moved it back towards what they call as a zero interest rate policy or the range of zero to 25 basis points. We've never seen the unlimited quantitative easing before. That's that's new. It's huge. And, and to give some people context, the Fed's balance sheet was roughly $4 trillion prior to all this activity. And that's, so let's say, the end of February. Here we are in July, and that balance sheet's now $7 trillion. So in a very short period of time, three trillion has gone in.
0: Right, and going up to 10 so trillion, according to Bill Dudley, the former president of the New York Fed, by the end of the year.
1: It could, yeah, it could be 10, it could be nine, could be 11, 12. Yeah. All of that is that is, is distinctly possible, especially when you consider, they said it's, it's unlimited. They'll do whatever they need, so to speak. So then thinking about that credit piece, the triple B and below, what's changed there? And this is the first time the Fed has said and said, we will lend into a special purpose vehicle set up by the Treasury Department in order for them to facilitate lending to corporate America, Triple B and and most of the double B or anything above that. They have further said they will do secondary purchases of Triple B and higher rated securities in the corporate arena. And they've also said they'll do lending to corporations that are triple B rated. But when you look deeply into the sort of the weeds of of their criteria, you get that pretty much they'll do the double B segment as well. So this is massive intervention into the corporate arena that you've never seen from the Fed before, in conjunction with what you're seeing as it relates to treasuries and, and agencies. So a much more active Fed than we ever saw in the 2008-2010 period.
0: And how much of a concern is the Fed's uh, involvement in the bond markets? What, why does it matter So, as, a, as an investor, as a bond investor?
1: Buying something is not that difficult. Whether it's the Fed or you and I going out and buying something, either A, paying for it, or B, disposing of it, that's a different story. And So they've now ballooned this balance sheet and probably is a balance sheet that never shrinks. The two times they tried, there was a temper tantrum. Yeah, it was a temper tantrum. We'll call it that um, in 2013. (laughs) And then in 2018, they said, oh, we're going to let it run off. It's going to look like paint drying. And the market convulsed and had difficult times. So you think about that forage as well. If that happened during a period of time when your balance sheet was three to four trillion, If it's 10 plus trillion, how are you ever going to exit? Right. The last piece of the exit to keep in mind, as of today, the Federal Reserve owns roughly 22, 23% of the outstanding treasuries. That's as of today. So when you look at the credit portion, that triple B and below, and you start to think about that, Okay, you're going to lend, and their lending is for five years. You're going to own securities in a special purpose vehicle. Are you going to own those securities till they mature? How are you going to get out of them? To whom are you going to sell them to? And you realize it's going to be difficult for them to extradite themselves from this without causing market problems. Now, that may not happen in the near term. It could be multiple years out. I think just as any investor, whenever you buy something, when you buy it, you need to have an exit strategy. And it would appear that the Federal Reserve Bank's exit strategies would be very limited.
0: So at FBA income, new income, you scrupulously avoid losses. (laughs) That's kind of one of your mandates is to deliver an absolute return uh, every calendar year, and you have done so for 35 consecutive years. Congratulations. Um, Thank so you. let's start with, with that objective. You've got a dual mandate. You've got another one you know, having to do with inflation. We'll talk about that later. But, but you know, so, so what's your strategy in this market to, to not lose money?
1: So one of the very first tests that we do to help us with this objective of a positive return on that, in that calendar year period. is this okay, if I buy this bond today and the yield on the bond today is 100 basis points or one percentage point higher a year from now, and I sell it, is my return positive, zero, or negative? And if it's negative, then the bond isn't purchased. So as an example, in today's environment, there is no treasury belong 12, beyond 12 months that will pass that test. There is no mortgage pool that will pass that test either beyond the 12 months. They, they, they just don't pass it anymore. So those are no longer applicable for us to purchase. So we look at other high quality bonds and what we find right now is sort of between three quarters of a let's just say one year and two and a half years in maturity that range. We look for bonds. And that's where we tend to find the high quality bonds that will pass that entry level stress test that we have.
0: OK, so that, that, that sounds so simple. <laughs> it's not, but it sounds it. Talk about the opportunity set that you're finding. I mean, you're closing your fund to new investors. Uh, is, is that one of the reasons that you're doing that?
1: Yes, effective the 31st of July, the fund will be closed to new investors, our existing shareholders um, and the clients of our existing shareholders will still be able to purchase the, the fund. When we look at and think about the portfolio and what we're doing, the first and primary group what we always do with, what is best for our current shareholder? What's the best for them? And when we sit down and do that and then look at the environment we find ourselves in today that we've been discussing, we realize that the opportunity set of high-quality bonds that we can buy that pass that stress test and pass other fundamental tests has become quite much, much smaller.
0: And the best interest of your client so, uh, is, again, is not to lose money, is to deliver uh, you know, a positive, an absolute return.
1: Yes, when we sit down and and, and talk with clients or prospective clients, we lay out, these are the two objectives this portfolio has. A positive return on an absolute basis in a 12 month period. And we're gonna try to get CPI plus 100 basis points, our one percentage point, over a rolling five year period. And we tell them further, we will only look for securities that help us accomplish those two objectives. And we spend a lot of time with them Discussing that's what we're trying to do because the objective of this to the client is if we can define for you what we're trying to achieve Then our clients can figure out where might that work in their portfolio How might that work for their clients objectives? So if we can consistently do that for them those two objectives and we can consistently apply the same methodologies they can get some comfort of how we're going to act and how we should be positioned with the overall mix of securities and, and, and funds and such that they have for their for their clients.
0: Are you ever tempted to accept the Wall Street adage that don't fight the Fed, which many of your competitors are accepting, and they're saying, "Hey, if the Fed's going to step up and you know buy this stuff, then I've got a floor underneath me, and it's okay for me to buy uh, these you know securities regardless of how much you know debt is being issued." because I know that that I've got a buyer out there. So why not take advantage of that? I don't know, even for like the next year or two.
1: So every investment we make has to stand alone fundamentally on it by itself, whether it's a credit investment or whether it's a high quality investment. So when we look at them, we look at them as, okay, if things don't work, you know, if it's in a corporate arena and said, okay, the economy continues to be very difficult, they get into trouble, they need to reorganize themselves. So they have to go through bankruptcy. Are we protected? What's our downside risk? What might happen to us in that scenario? And only when we're comfortable with that, will we make an investment. To us making an investment based on the fact, well, somebody else will bail me out if it doesn't work. In this case, you've you've identified the the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States of America is the person that's going to do the bailing on going, I don't know if they're going to be there. Um, talking to my co-manager today, you know, Abhi Potwart, and he sort of joked, well, that means if it goes into a company goes into bankruptcy, is the Federal Reserve going to pro- provide the dip financing, the debtor in possession financing for the bankrupt company? I don't know. Doesn't sound like that's probably a good idea for the Federal Reserve Bank to do. So everything has to stand alone by itself. Is this a good fundamental investment? Yes or no?
0: When you look back at this time and and you're you know you're doing your gee what was the worst situation and how did these securities perform? I, I'm I'm thinking this is an has been a unprecedented you know era in that the economy was shut down by government mandate. Uh, nothing that. You know, anyone could possibly have prepared for. Is, is this going to add a whole new level of kind of risk assessment to, you know, when you look at uh, individual issuers again in the future?
1: So, to looking at issuers and in, in, in risk assessment, so far, as an example, so far, the defaults, the delinquencies, the write offs and such that issuers and underwriters have, have, have had have been less than they were in 2008, 9, 10. Now, we're obviously, we're not finished here, but that's what it is. But what we do look at, and we think is equally as important, and we've looked at it before, and I'll, I'll go back and use an example from in a second, a long time ago, is we look at each underwriter. We, we go do an analysis of them from all sorts of, you know, what's your underwriting criteria? How do you service loans? You know, what, who, who owns the business? How much equity is the business? Just a fundamental, you know, uh, review of the business. One of those items that we've always looked at is what's your backup plan in case something doesn't work? And I harken back to something. This goes back probably now seven, eight, nine years, and we were looking at a subprime auto loan underwriter. They were located in Southern California, and we'd gone through all the underwriting criteria and and how do they, you know, how do they service the loans and how do they grade them and all those sorts of issues. And all of our last questions is, What's your backup system? Now they were about three miles from our office, five miles from our office is Southern California. They told me, well, we have a backup system that's in Texas. And we download the information to it once a month. That means it's called a cold backup system. At the end of the month, you just dump the data over to it. And that was their backup system. I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. We're in earthquake prone zone. We've been managing money in Los Angeles for, for a very long period of time, and, and the firm has lived through a couple of earthquakes. And typically what happens in an earthquake is they come by and red tag the building, no one can get into the building until the fire department comes through and says, okay, it's safe. Well, they don't pick commercial businesses at first, they actually go to homes first, which is probably a good reason for the sudden. Right. So you're all last on the list for that. They didn't have a proper backup system. So we did not use them. In looking at these underwriters, we're going to want to have that discussion with them. What's your remote plan? How have you practiced it? What's the details of it? How long can you run your business if your employees all have to work from their home? So your
0: analysis is that granular. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It, just looking, so cash and equivalents. Again, this is you know I think as of the end of June, but it was fourteen percent in the portfolio. Mortgage-backed securities seventeen and um, a z- half percent. Zero treasuries. At least that's what it said. You had said uh, you know nothing over a year's maturity. But are are you really like at zero treasuries, or is that wrong?
1: Yeah. The only treasuries we own are in the cash and equivalence component where we own a bunch of 1 month and 2 weeks and 3 okay. month maturity bills, T bills. So the That's treasuries
0: it. they're just not worth
1: the risk uh, you know. They're not. They're just not worth it. You not you are not paid enough. A 2 year treasury and when I, when we came on to this this call on uh, th- th- this afternoon had a yield of 14 basis points. 14. Yep.
0: And and you like to That's hold what you're things earn. to maturity, right? I mean, basically,
1: I would I would plan on owning that until it matures. And okay. Saying, okay, am I willing to lend the government money for two years at fourteen basis points, 014 percent? Um, the first answer is that from our team is no. We we are not. Why? Well, over the last twelve months, the inflation rate in this country was 0. 0.6. I can't even earn inflation with that. The other element to it is. I probably—I haven't done the math, but you probably only have to raise rates from 14 basis points to maybe 25 or 30 basis points in a 12-month period, and that thing will have a negative total return for us.
0: Let's talk about the uh, the inflation piece to this. And I, I know you know your your goal, as I said, you've got a dual mandate: absolute returns on a calendar year basis, and you want to uh, beat the CPI by 100 basis points by a full percentage point on on rolling like five-year periods, 10-year periods, whatever. You've been less successful uh, in doing that. However, with 100 basis points, however, I will say, I mean, I looked at the track record and, you know, you've beaten inflation uh, basically, you know, the entire time since inception and in multiple, you know, year periods since then. So have you set your bar too high by, you know, saying that you're going to deliver uh, one full percentage point over this CPI over you know multiple
1: year periods so looking at that analysis and things say okay is a is, is hundred basis points too much looking back at long-term history when we went back 50 and 60 years to sort of say is this a doable objective and we understood that it was a doable objective the last, couple of downturns, this downturn, the one in 2008, Federal Reserve monetary policy has changed very dramatically to where their attempts to get the economy stimulated is to set that high quality rate at a negative real yield to where basically you borrow money at less than inflation, it's advantageous for you. And that has made it very challenging for us the last really 10 to 12 years Mm -hmm. um, in order to get the 100 basis points. We've thought about reducing it and changing it, but when we have discussions with our clients about that and and their thoughts, they look at us and go, look, we're very comfortable because you have a positive return mandate in a 12-month period. That's the first thing they're looking at. We understand the current environment and your ability to get CPI plus 100 is extremely challenging. We're not as concerned with that. If you can just get a CPI plus something, they tend to be happy. Okay, which you've and when done. when you look at that period, yeah, when you look at the period sort of 2013 and such forward, that plus has been anywhere from 20 or 30 basis points to 50 or 60. And they're okay with that. And so we've gone, all right, fine, we'll leave it where it is.
0: You are known as contrarians uh, at FPA. And I'm wondering, what's your most contrarian position now or your most contrarian strategy?
1: Well, I think I'd put it into two areas. One, you have mentioned earlier. Yes, the Fed's telling you they're going to backstop all this all this debt that's being issued. And everybody's doing that. And we're going, no, fundamentally, it doesn't make sense to lend to that entity. We're not going to participate. So that's something we're doing that very few are, are others are doing. The other one was many embraced, okay, it was a sell-off, let's quickly go in, buy all the credit, it's gonna recover, the Fed's gonna pump money into the system, the economy's gonna recover, and we went, oh, wait a minute. That doesn't necessarily make as much sense for us. And the reason is, it's not like the economy went down because, and then you fill in like what occurred in 2008 or what occurred in 2001, or if you go back and you look look at 98 and 2000. We went into a, a recession because we have a worldwide pandemic on a virus that is uncertain about its, its how how dramatic it's going to be as it rolls through the through this country and in other countries. There is no cure for it at this point. There's no vaccine for it at this point, and treatment is okay. It's better than it was, but it's still very challenging. A high level of uncertainty, and how the economy is going to operate is solely based on. How's that virus operate within the economy? Extremely uncertain as we talk today. So why would you invest in credit to a large degree when you have a huge uncertainty of outcome as how the economy is gonna go over the next several years? Because it's all gonna be based on how do we deal with, how do we control, and are we able to completely mitigate of a pandemic, a virus, that at this point, we have only marginal controls over?
0: That is a very good question. So, Tom Atterbury, I have one final question for you, which we ask every one of our guests on Wealth Track. If there is one investment that we should all own in a long-term diversified portfolio, what would it be?
1: So I thought about this for quite a while, and what I'm going to tell you is probably not what you're expecting or most of the audience would expect. As of Thursday, or let's just say this week, the rate on a 30-year mortgage that someone who wants to borrow money for 30 years and buy a house with is less than two, 3%, has not been there in 50 years, which is as long as they've been keeping track. Um, the exact number is somewhere like 2.98. Okay, that's the first thing. The second item is if you look at the federal housing, you know, FHA, they have a, a house monitor, price monitor, that they've been collecting data for roughly 45 years. And if you look at that, that thing is that that set of data on a national basis has compounded a little over four, four and a half percent the last 45 years. So you can borrow money at three and potentially putting it into an investment that is going to appreciate at a faster rate than three. That seems to make a lot of sense for someone very long term. Now there's a couple of criteria you're going to need to be able to participate. You're going to need to be able to financially handle the maintenance and upkeep of a home, the taxes, the the mortgage itself. You're going to need to to put money down. You know, as conservative as we are, we always prefer people who put something that looks like 20 percent down. But if you're able to do those, that looks like a good long-term investment for a household. As a bond investor, I'll be honest with you, I do not have an interest in lending you money for 30 years at 2.98% on your home. <laughs> that just means it's not good for the lender. It may be, may be very good for the borrower.
0: So we won't apply to you for a loan. That's a, it's a great suggestion, Tom. And it is surprising. I wasn't expecting that from you at all. Thank you, Tom Atterbury, for joining us on Wealth Track. It's always a really fun, interesting discussion.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: At the close of Every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is own some safe haven investments. We're in an atmosphere where volatility is in the upswing, market dislocations are becoming more frequent, and algorithmic trading is leading to computer-driven groupthink. A counterweight is having some tame, dare I say, boring assets which can provide stability, protection, and liquidity in times of market turmoil. Add some safe haven investments to your portfolio mix. This week in our exclusive extra feature, Tom Atterbury tells us how the pandemic has changed his outlook on life. You'll find it on our website. And please keep connecting with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and a productive one.